Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. I'm going to take a bite of the Big Apple with the great columnist from the New York Post, Mike Vaccaro. Uh, a lot of good things going on in New York, Mike, in terms of the teams, the Yankees playing well, the Mets are on a tremendous roll right now. And, of course, the big story from last night, the Rangers start out their series with Tampa Bay with a resounding 6-2 win. Uh, I've been a hockey, I've been a Ranger fan since I'm in high school in Brooklyn. And I can remember going to the old garden and sitting way up in the rafters for a half a buck for a ticket and rooting for the Rangers. And they weren't very good then, but they're very good now. They're very young now. And they're playing a, a tough competitor in the, uh, the two-time defending uh, champions. Yeah, they definitely had a schedule. I mean, the uh, look. I mean, they could have easily uh, lost the first round. They could have easily lost the second round. But I think what you see when you have a team that's starting to discover itself is they they they, they rise up in important moments. So they came back from three-one down against the Penguins and came back from two-nothing and three-two down against the Canes. And yeah, I mean, you know, why can't they beat the Lightning? I mean, Lightning obviously are a tough competitor, and they are the, the champs. And, uh, you know, I can't believe they're going to play the rest of the series as poorly as they played last night. But, uh, yeah, very exciting times for hockey fans. You, uh, you, and you And you accurately pointed it out. They're down 3-1 to one to Pittsburgh, come back and win. They're down 0-2 to Carolina, come back and win. Last night, uh, you know, they're just playing, let's match it. You get a goal, we'll get a goal. And then all of a sudden, things started to explode. Criders had a very strong year, a uh, couple of goals last night. Uh <laughs> I, I think it would be hilarious. Uh, this is a young team that's accomplished an awful lot. It really has. And, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, I think we thought they were on the rise. But uh, to get this far uh, this quickly is a, is a great thing and bodes well for the future. And obviously they've got a goaltender who's as good as anybody. And when you have that, uh, you know, special things can happen, you know, in Stanley Cup playoffs for sure. Uh, the Mets, uh, they made the right choice, obviously. With the signing of Buck Showalter as their manager, uh, he's uh, you know he needs no introduction certainly, but the effect that he's had on the Mets, uh, I think, is is duly noted. The way they're playing right now, uh, they, uh, I mean, they're they're uh, in in a position right now where <laughs> six wins in a row, uh, they opened up a ten game lead over their arch rival, the Atlanta Braves. Uh, look, I mean, it's still early. you got two-thirds of a season left, but they're setting a heck of a tone. The big test is coming up now. They've got a 10-game West Coast road trip with the Dodgers, the Padres, and Anaheim. That will give you a real indication of where they are. It will, but I mean, you know, I, I think uh, they're playing so well that I think those three teams are thinking the same thing about the Mets. So I think, uh, look, I think these four games in, in L.A. are going to be fascinating. The Dodgers are obviously still a you know, a gold standard team in the sport. We just got swept by the Pirates. So, you know, everybody's talking about the Mets building their record on the back of some soft teams, but, you know, good teams are supposed to be bad teams. That's what the Mets did against the Nationals this week. And it's something that the Dodgers didn't do against the Pirates this week. Now, is that going to have any impact on these games coming up? I don't think so. But it's going to be interesting. And uh, look at me, I think, I think one thing for sure, uh, I think the Mets themselves believe that they can look the, the Dodgers in the eye and I think it's, uh, if they do that over the course of the next four games, uh, the, the, the narrative of the National League is going to be altered at least a little bit. Meanwhile, across the river, the Yankees, and a lot was talked about and continues to be spoken about as it relates to Aaron Judge. He's having a solid year, uh, and they're going to get Stanton back in the next couple of days. Uh, 
And let me go back to the Mets just for a second. No DeGrom, no Scherzer. I mean, they're playing at a 67 win percentage clip. Can you imagine they get those two those two pitchers back? They're going to be hell on everybody. You know, they've already got basically their two uh, deadline deal pickups already uh, already on order. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I mean, that, 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 that really is the, uh, to me, that's the most remarkable and I think the most uh, impressive thing about what the Mets have done is that, and they, that, 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 that comes from the top down. You know, every day Bucks does the same thing. Basically, no one's going to feel sorry for us. In fact, they want you to have worse problems. Um, and that's, uh, you know, something that the Mets have really picked up on. They, they aren't bothered by who's not in the room. They just are concerned about who's with them, who's playing that day, and who they're playing against that day. And it really has become a, a team-wide thing. Meanwhile, the Yankees with the best record in the American League, but they've got some issues. Uh, I, I think Aaron Hicks is a heck of a player, but, he, man, is he mired in a hell of a slump. And he's come up in, in key situations. And you know what happens. You're in a slump. Even when you hit the ball hard, it goes right to somebody. And that's been what's going on with Hicks. Meanwhile, Aaron Judge, I mean, he's hit, I mean, he's hit some, what's, here's a good word, prodigious home runs. And all of a sudden you realize, hey, you know, he didn't want that contract. He's betting on himself, and you got to like his chances. Well, he did bet on himself, and so far that seems like the smartest bet of the year so far. Um, he's been fantastic. And yeah, Aaron Hicks has struggled. Uh, I think, you know, specifically, you were talking about that game in Tampa Sunday where he had two ropes right at people where it looked like, you know, he could have gotten out of his out of his, his funk. But then the word worried me about Hicks is that uh, it's not just his batting, but it seems to have affected his, his base running and his defense a little bit. And uh, look, the Yankees are, have built themselves a little bit of a cushion where they don't have to worry about uh, every player on their roster hitting it, uh, you know, all, all cylinders. Uh, Joey Gallo is trying to come out of his funk a little bit, it looks like. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if Hicks is going to be playing, uh, he's got to play, play, play better than he's been, than he's been playing, that's for sure. Yeah, there's a day-night doubleheader scheduled today. There's supposed to be some rain later on that could affect the second game. But the first game, an intriguing matchup with Nesta Cortez, who's having a hell of a year. He's got an earn run average of under two. He's going up against Otani, who's one of the more miraculous stories in baseball, not only with his pitching capability, but his ability to hit and hit the distance. Yeah, he's he's as fun to watch as there is. Look, I mean, the, the Angels for a team that's just they're, they're just kind of out there. I mean, they have two of the most exciting players, you know, in the sport, Mike Trout and, and Shane Antani. And Otani is just so unique because every time he does something different, it's something that we've never seen in baseball before, or at least not since Babe Ruth. And whenever you can say that uh, a guy is doing something that hasn't been done since Babe Ruth, you're saying an awful lot. Um, to me, I mean, it, it, it is going to be an interesting uh, matchup there because, uh, man, it's just, you know, the year Otani had last year uh, is one of the most unique years that any player has ever had. It's a little bit down this year, but uh, still going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, he essentially hit a home run in game one that Aaron Judge took back at uh, took back uh, out of the left center field. So um, it's going to be a fun day at the stadium today, I think. Uh, you mentioned Babe Ruth. Interesting to note that 67 years ago today, Babe Ruth retired from baseball at the age of 40. I didn't realize that he was 40 years old. I thought he, he retired when he was younger. Yeah, it's uh, you know he famously hit those uh, final three home runs at uh, Forks Field as a member of the Braves, and uh, you know I think he thought he was going to be uh, hired as a manager pretty quick, and 
was never hired as manager at all, which I think is one of the, the lasting heartbreaks. And unfortunately, I think probably a, a black eye for baseball because uh, I think a lot of the owners who uh, Babe Ruth had taken advantage of uh, during his career uh, kind of got their payback later on in his life. Uh, it's hard to believe he wouldn't have been a, at, least, at least a passable manager. But uh, that's a whole different story for a whole different day, I guess. Meanwhile, the f- football story in New York, OTAs have begun. Uh, a lot of optimism in Jets camp, uh, not only with the free agents they signed, they desperately needed tight ends. They get two of them. The draft seemingly uh, has gone their way. But you know what it is with drafts. It, it's a crapshoot at best, and you need two or three years to find out if you made the right picks. And on the surface, it looks like they did. Um, but you, you uh, while there's all this optimism, which is rare when you consider Jet fans going to the draft, they never are happy with what the Jets have done. This year, I think you can say they are. Yeah, they seem pretty happy. They should be happy. Look, I mean, they've got a bunch of intriguing players, but you you hit the nail on the head until you actually see them play on Sunday. You really have no idea what you got. I mean, you know, I think, uh, you know, pick any draft pick that worked out. I mean, I think the Giants are very happy they, they selected Lawrence Taylor back when they selected Lawrence Taylor, but it wasn't until they saw him and what he became on the field pretty quick as a rookie when they realized, yeah, we really hit this. Um, and I'm sure there have been a lot of teams throughout the years who, who felt similarly that they were that they had no miss on it, you know, they can't miss on their hands. And guess what? They missed. And, uh, you know, they were sleepers. And So, yeah, I mean, the, the draft is great for the NFL's marketing plan. Keeps it in the, obviously, it keeps it in the, the news in April, which, you know, years ago would have been just completely devoid of football. But, uh, you know, you really, you know, the, 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 the important things about how to, how to uh, gauge how you get in the draft, that's not going to happen for a while. But look, it's good to have optimism again. You know, it's, it's, it's an optimistic time in New York, Howard. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe, but you have the hockey team playing great, two great baseball teams, and even both football teams are generating positive buzz because of either new players or new hires. And uh, that's, a, that's a good thing. It's, it's certainly better than what we've had the last couple of years. Yeah, and, but, you know, come, let's talk about Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post. You, aside from the six games they play against uh, the uh, AFC East, and Buffalo right now, you have to say, is as good a chance to come out of the AFC as any team right now. Uh, but you look at that schedule, it's daunting. Aside from the six games they play in the division, where Buffalo is going to be two tough games, Miami is very much improved. There's two tough games. And then uh, you say to yourself, well, where does that leave the Jets? You start, the schedule is tough early, particularly the opener. They got to play Baltimore, and then they're playing uh, Cleveland. We don't know if Watson is going to be playing or suspended at that point. But you go down to the end of the season, the last four games Jacksonville, Detroit, Seattle and the Miami Dolphins in the last the last game of the season, they're all winnable games. And I asked uh, I asked your coworker Mark Canizero, who covers the Jets, what would be considered a successful year? Is it six wins, seven wins, eight wins? He put it on. He put a great spin on it. He said, if the Jets are not competing for a playoff spot. In the last five games of the season, it cannot be considered a success. And I agreed with him. I'm not sure if I would go necessarily that far. I think it's more of an eye test year. I think I think it's possible for a team to look better and still not be able to win games because of the nature of the schedule. And you, know, you mentioned that schedule. They played the first four games against teams from the AFC North, who all of them I think are better than them. And so it's conceivable, I think, that 
you know, by week five, the Jets could be in last place in both the AFC East and the AFC North. Um, but, uh, you know, kidding aside, I mean, look, I mean, primarily I want to see what the quarterback is. Primarily I want to see that the guys that, that Joe Douglas had picked are performing and doing, uh, you know, positive things in the field. And then you hope that that follows, that the scoreboard will be will, will, will follow. But, you know, I, I just don't think it's, it, it, it's that cut and dry with that team. Look, everything really depends on the people around Zach Wilson, and more importantly, Zach Wilson. Uh, he's showed signs late in the year last year where he, he has uh, an awful lot of ability. He seems to be a smart kid. Uh, we'll see how it turns out. But you, you go uh, the other side of the stadium and the Giants, uh, I don't think there's as much optimism there is with the Giants. But having said that, uh, you, you, think, you say to yourself, well, how tough is that division uh, in the NFC East, I don't think it's all that difficult. But again, it comes down to Daniel Jones. Which Daniel Jones are we going to see? The one you had all this promise or the one that really hasn't given you what you want in the last couple of years? And if he's not the answer, they're going searching for a quarterback again next year. Yeah, for the, for, for the sake of the Giants, uh, it would really, I'd have been sake of Daniel Jones, it would really behoove Jones to have a pretty good start to the season. Um, and you know, it's interesting, I mean, you know, you're talking about wins and losses. I mean, I, I think it's possible. I don't necessarily think the Giants improve themselves more than the Jets, but I think it's possible that you'll see more tangible uh, improvement because because of that division. Because I think the Giants simply have more winnable games in their schedule than the Jets do. Fair enough. Uh, uh, we haven't mentioned the basketball teams in New York. Um, the uh, when uh, when Frank Vogel got fired by the Lakers, I thought they fired the wrong guy. I thought that was more incumbent on the management. Now, the problem is, uh, who's making these decisions? They got like six cooks spoiling the broth, and nobody, uh, can you say uh, it's the general manager? Maybe. Can you say, is it the Rambuses, Mr. and Mrs.? Maybe. Is it Phil Jackson? I don't know. Uh, the fact of the matter is that their management, I think, is the one you point fingers at. Same with the Knicks. The Knicks, uh, when, you, when you realize that Leon Rose is making these decisions, and he seems to be more in charge than anybody else. But I didn't think that uh, that they should have made a coaching change, and Thibodeau's not going to get fired, at least I don't think so. Uh, but having said that, they're faced once again, who's going to be playing point guard? Uh, I talked to a guy down in Dallas who said that if the Knicks think they're going to get Jalen Brunson in free agency, you better go through Mark Cuban because he's not letting that guy leave. Right, he's the, he's he's certainly the most uh, the most uh, intriguing of of the options, I think. And that's the problem. It's been, look, it's been a problem for the next for years, uh, and uh, you know it, it, it was really exacerbated last year. You know, two years ago when they had all that success, you know, I think Julius Randle kind of embraced the idea of being a, a point forward, but that's not naturally who he is, and he kind of just regressed to to what he is, which is a which is a score first forward, um, for better or worse. Uh, they, they, you know, once they lost Derrick Rose, and even with, with, with Derrick Rose in the, in, in, in the picture, there's a lot of tread in those tires. Um, they've got to do something. And if it's not going to be Brunson, I mean, it's going to take me on Leon Rose being creative to figure out who it is because uh, without a point guard, that team is, is just heading for another brick wall. Meanwhile, the Brooklyn Nets, who before the season, everybody said, well, they're going to the finals, they could win the championship, everything fell apart. So now, what happens with Kyrie Irving? He's got he's got an opt-in clause in his contract. Uh, he wants a, a long-term deal. I don't think that it would be in the Nets' best interest to give him 
a max contract, do you? Uh, it wouldn't be, except for the fact that the Nets are kind of in a place where they're, you know, they're sort of all in. And, you know, the, uh, you know, if, if that's what Kevin Durant wants, basically, I mean, if he's willing to put up with, with, with Kyrie again, then that's what the Nets are going to do. Um, and to me, I mean, I'm not sure if the Nets have a whole lot of great options. I mean, who knows what you're going to get with Ben Simmons. And, um, you know, the, the, the window for Durant is it's not getting any wider, you know. And if, if, if Kyrie is the guy who gives them the best opportunity to, to get where they want to go, um, I think they're a little hamstrung. Uh, okay, I, I would buy that. Uh, you wrote a column fairly recently about one-time great star at St. Bonaventure where you went to, Bob Lanier. Uh, I worked with Bob during the NBA playoffs for NBA Radio a few years back, uh, and I don't think I've ever laughed more than being around a guy. Lanier was a piece of work, to say the least. One of the really good guys that I've ever worked with in my life, one of the really good guys I've ever been around, and, I mean, he could light up a room. Uh, his sense of humor, uh, and if you've, you've talked to him, you know what I'm talking about. But never have I enjoyed a round of golf more than playing with the Dobra, is his nickname, and Cotton Fitzsimmons and Mike Woodson. I don't think I remember a shot that I made that day, other than the fact, all I did was laugh for four hours. I believe it. You know, gregarious soul, a guy who really loves his alma mater, a guy who really loved his sport, a guy who was committed to... Uh, you know all the good things in life, and making sure that uh, uh, that, that, that kids less fortunate than others, which he was when he was young, uh, all, all got the same opportunities. Uh, you're talking about just one of the great, uh, you know, not, not just great basketball lives, but really one of the great American lives in terms of service, but also in terms of making other people feel good. And oh, by the way, he was also a terrific ball player too. Uh, oh, oh, by the way, <laughs> yeah. hey, uh, it's it's you go through life, and you know this. With all the years you've been covering sports, there are people that made an impression on you as a writer. Give me the name of one or two guys that you have interviewed that continue this day to have made an impression on you. Oh, well, that's, uh, you know, I'll never forget the times that Amy Pat Riley, I mean, he really, he was, his was, he was a presence. Uh, all business kind of, you know, kind of reinforced, you know, how important it is to be serious about your craft. Um, I, I, I love talking to Tom Seaver, the late Tom Seaver, uh, who would be able to talk pitching as a scientist would medicine. Um, you know, you know, those are definitely a couple. I still enjoy talking to Jeff A. Gutney, who has, has an ability to make what can be a pretty complex game very simple and understandable, uh, understanding to the common man. So, you know, off the top of my head, those are the ones that I would go with. I did talk down in Miami at a sports station down there when Riley was coaching the Miami Heat, and he would come on uh, the program every Friday morning for about a 20-minute interview. And I came to realize that at that time, Riley is a huge Motown fan uh, to where I would lead into the interview with him by playing, I don't know, Marvin Gaye or some Temptation song or whatever. And Riles would, you don't, it's hard to believe that he would do this. But he would come on the program and continue the song, <laughs> which which impressed the hell out of me. I said, so there is a humorous side to Pat Riley. I'm glad to hear that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> hey, Mike, love talking to you as always. And you stay safe. Continue to get well. Thanks, Howard. I appreciate you talking to you again as always. Here's Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post. Taking a bite of the Big Apple with Mike.
I, as I mentioned to Mike, I was a kid growing up in, uh, in my high school years in Brooklyn. My friends and I used to get on the subway in Brooklyn and go to the old Madison Square Garden. And either it was a Ranger game or it was a Nick game. And it was during the time when you could go to Madison Square Garden for an NBA game and see a doubleheader. The Knicks would play the 9 o'clock game against whomever, and there would be a, a game at 7 o'clock with two other NBA teams. You want to talk about value for your dollar? I think it cost me like two bucks for a ticket. To, I mean, you're sitting way up high. You're not sitting in one of those courtside luxury seats that you see now at Madison Square Garden. But having said that, the Rangers then had, um, they were a so-so team. They weren't great. The league was being dominated primarily by first the Montreal Canadiens, and then it was the Boston Bruins, and then a little bit later on the Philadelphia Flyers. And the Rangers couldn't compete with these teams. So when I'm sitting there watching the Rangers now, I got to tell you, it gives me a great kick to see them doing so well. This is a young team, great goaltending. They can score. Uh, and as I mentioned to Mike, they started out the Pittsburgh series down three games to one, came back and won the series. They go to Carolina down 0-2. They come back and win the series. Last night, they started out with a home game, and they wind up winning 6-2. to two. I mean, six goals, a lot of goals. But do I think they have a chance to win the Stanley Cup? Yeah, I do. Am I being uh, disillusioned? No, I don't think so. Because the first thing you do when you play professional sports is you develop an air of confidence. Not braggadocia type of, of thinking, confidence. And this team's got an awful lot of confidence. Because as, as hockey fans have said time and again, you win if you have good goaltending, you lose if you don't. Well, they have good, good goaltending. They have enough guys to put, as they say uh, in, in back in the day, the biscuit in the basket. They have enough goal scorers. They play good defense. They, they, they kill off penalties as good as any team around. Well, I'd like to see them win the Stanley Cup, of course. Last time was 1994. Mateau, 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 said Howie Rose on the call. That's, that was then. It's now 28 years later. I can't say they're due because that wouldn't be fair and it wouldn't be right. There are a lot of good teams in the National Hockey League, any of, whom, any, which, uh, any of those teams could win, win a Stanley Cup. But they're playing the two-time cup champions last two years in the Tampa Bay Lightning. So it, it's incumbent upon the Lightning to try to get game two at Madison Square Garden should the uh, Rangers win game two and go up 2-0 and then head to Tampa Bay for the next two games after that. That would be the optimum situation. I talked to Mike Vaccaro about basketball in New York. Forever in my memory, all I kept hearing to say, fans would say, oh, we're going to get this superstar, and we're going to get that superstar. And it's just, it's never happened. It's never happened. In 1985, they won the lottery. They get Patrick Ewing, a terrific player, Hall of Fame player, no doubt about it. But they didn't win a championship with Patrick Ewing. He's a really good player. Great player, you might say. But they got to the finals, couldn't do it. 
Unfortunately, they ran into Houston once uh, when Riley was still the coach of the Knicks. That happens. Meanwhile, the Nets. The season started. Everybody was predicting that the Nets could go certainly to the Eastern Final, if not to the championship round. And they could win it all. Now, that's when they had the big three, Durant, Irving, and Harden. Long about February, Harden started saying he wants out. Nothing, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that Kyrie Irving wasn't going to get vaccinated. Sean Walks made an interesting observation, the general manager of the Nets. He said, I want players on this team that think about team, not selfishly think about themselves. Well, he's painted a picture of two guys, James Harden, who forced his way out of Houston, then forced his way out of Brooklyn. And you got Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving, terrific player. But I don't want him on my team. Yeah, you're going to give away a little bit of talent, but everybody's going to be on the same page. You don't win in pro sports or in college sports unless everybody is on the same page. And this net team is not on the same page. They've got a lot of decisions that they have to make. They should get a healthy Joe Harris back. That'll help. Seth Curry had a nice, nice season after he was traded from Philadelphia. Andre Drummond, I'm not so sure they're going to bring him back or not. Bruce Brown, nice, uh, nice player on both ends of the floor. And Kevin Durant as well, top five, five player in the league. But I don't want Kyrie Irving unless he's buying into the whole team. If he's not, fine, tell me that. Tell me that it's either a max contract or trade me. For the Nets' sake, I hope he does that. Because the cost is not worth the results. Look what happened. They get swept by Boston in a series that was closer than a 4-0 sweep would indicate. Because they were in every game. They gave away the first game because they gave away a layup down near the end of the game that either Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant could have stopped. But they didn't. Look, I don't blame Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant spills his guts every night on the floor. Great player. But I don't want a guy on my team that doesn't care about team. And Kyrie Irving has proven in Cleveland and in Boston and now in Brooklyn that he doesn't care about team. He cares about Kyrie Irving. What could you get for him on the open market? A lot more than you think. They would, they would say that he's damaged goods. Well, I'm not ready to go there. He's certainly one of the top 10 players in the league. He can score with the best of them. He can drill it from deep. He can take it to the basket. A very active player. Gets a number of assists, a number, number of rebounds. But his value is his scoring. I would say this as it relates to the Nets. And Sean Walks isn't going to listen to me. And sometimes it's hard to take a bite out of the Big Apple or any other place. It's hard taking that, that, that what you have to do to make your team better. And I'm not going to say you give away Kyrie Irving. You don't just give him away. You've got to get value for value. And everybody says, well, he's damaged goods. Not so. 
there's an owner, a general manager, a coach out there that says, I can fix that guy. We've seen it time and time again. Now, are they still a team to be reckoned with in the East? Yes. Are the Knicks? I need to see it. I need proof. But what the Rangers doing what they're doing right now, what the Yankees are doing right now, what the Mets are doing right now, certainly, I mean, could it, could it be any greater than to see the Rangers get to the championship round? Would it be great to see the Yankees play the Mets in the World Series? Of course. And in football, there's at least there's optimism in Jets camp. There's maybe to a lesser degree, there's optimism in the Giants camp. But at least there is some feeling that, yeah, we're headed in the right direction. Look around the, look around the city. You got a new coach with the Rangers. You got a young coach with the Nets. You got a proven defensive coach with the Knicks. Aaron Boone has proven that he knows how to manage a baseball team. And Buck Showalter, great move by the Mets in hiring a guy who has a proven track record. Got a second year coach with the Jets, a first year coach with the Giants. There's optimism in the city as it relates to the, to the sports world. Having said all of that, stay glued to your radio, stay glued to your TV sets, and keep your fingers crossed that the Rangers continue to play the way they're playing and the Yankees continue to play the way they're playing, you know, with a, with a better track record from other players outside of Aaron Judge. And with the Mets, they get Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer back and healthy to adding to what they already have. Very optimistic with the way things are going on in the Queens. Optimism in the Bronx. And optimism in Madison Square Garden as it relates to the Rangers. Ask yourself this. Why is it that one organization owns the Rangers and the Knicks. And it's the Rangers that are playing the way they're playing, and at least there's a plan. With the Knicks, I'm not as optimistic. I'm really not. And I don't know that Leon Rose is going to survive. We'll see. But it's only early June. Got a lot more things to talk about between now and the end of the baseball season, the beginning of the football season, the end of the basketball season, and with, uh, with Golden State playing the Boston Celtics in game one of the finals tonight. Do I have a favorite, a horse in the race? Not really. I just want to see good basketball. But can't discount the fact that Golden State is the more experienced team of the big spot. They've won three championships in the last eight years. Meanwhile, 
the Celtics haven't been to the finals, their first trip to the finals, in 12 years. So it's not just Steph Curry. It's not just Klay Thompson. It's not just Draymond Green. It's not just Jordan Poole. For Brooklyn, it's simple. Uh, For Boston, rather. Boston, it's simple. So goes Jason Tatum. So go the Celtics. And how successful Marcus Smart is in defending Steph Curry. How successful Andrew Wiggins is in defending Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown's a hell of a player. But let's be real. Jason Tatum doesn't give you his A game. The Celtics' chances are not very good. We'll see. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live. We've taken a bite of the Big Apple, etc. Thanks again to Mike Vaccaro, one of the great writers of our time. Great columnist for the New York Post. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live, and you stay safe.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.